You're listening to the Centre Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message, recorded live from our Brighton campus. Last week we started this new series, didn't we, on on the book of James, um, called Genuine Faith. And we've got the little image up there, which is good. And um, we, <coughs> we're looking at what does it look like to have genuine faith? What is What does that mean for, for us and our lives? And... Um, and all that sort of stuff. And we'll be going through the book of James sort of systematically through a different portion each week. So I've got the second portion, which is nice. And um, digging into this concept of genuine faith through the book of James. And so Julian last week started us off with the first 12 verses of James and very kindly left me more than 12 verses to finish off with. So thanks for that, Julian. No, I'm joking. Now, so um, Julian started us off on the first 12 verses. And um, we looked at how we consider it pure joy when we face trials of all different kinds and, and how easy that is to consider trials joy. I don't know. I don't know about you, but it can be hard, can't it? But we looked at this aspect that we will, as Christians, we will experience trials. It's not always an easy road. It's not always going to be easy. And then, um, but we also looked at this element that trials bring about perseverance so the thing that they, they grow and they breed in us is perseverance. And then Julian also said that for, for him, verse 12 was the key to unlocking this whole, um, this whole passage, which talks about the one who stands the test will receive what God's promised. So that's what we sort of looked at last week. And this week, um, I've got James chapter 1, verses 13 to 27. And I kind of come up with this theme and you can you can tell me if you think this is an appropriate theme or not later when we're done. Hopefully, I'll hopefully it will be appropriate. Um, but the theme, don't be deceived, because I noticed when I was going through this um, this passage, there was this phrase like "don't be deceived" or "don't deceive yourselves" or or something like that three times, different times in this passage. So I thought, well, that seems to be a kind of theme that's going on in this passage. And so we'll be looking at what does. Um, what do we mean by not being deceived or what does James mean by not being deceived in two different contexts? The first one is, what is God doing? So how can we not be deceived in what God is doing or how God moves? And the second one is in what we're doing. So how can we not be deceived in what we're doing or how we respond? So these two elements of how God moves and how we respond is um, what we're going to be sort of pulling out from this passage this morning hopefully anyway so let's just let's just read it together i'm hoping my bible actually stays open because it feels like it keeps wanting to shut on me which is a shame but never mind here we go so james 1 verses 13 to 27 when tempted no one should say god is tempting me for god cannot be tempted by evil nor does he tempt anyone But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. 
My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves. And their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Amen. So, there we go. We've got our passage there. And uh, hopefully that makes some sense to us. I don't know if you've, um, if you've ever been in a situation like this where you've, where you've maybe deceived yourself or deceived someone else. When I was, um, when I was young, when I was a younger boy, and uh, me and my brother were growing up. My brother's two and a half years younger than me. So he could be manipulated a little bit when he was younger. Um, we we used to sneak down in the mornings in in the mornings to watch cartoons at like six in the morning or whatever. I remember watching. Do you ever remember watching that woman who stu- sat there with the little or the girl who sat there with the little piece of chalk on the chalkboard on the screen? We watched her for hours until the cartoons came on. So we used. To, it was early in the morning. Mm. Test card girl. Yeah. Apparently the X that was in the middle marked the middle of your screen and that was how you were supposed to align your screen. So there you go. Um, but anyway, we would watch, we would sneak downstairs to watch cartoons and sometimes we'd get in a little bit of mischief. Um, Johnny probably knows this kind of situation. You think, oh, they're just, just enjoying themselves and then one starts screaming and the other's crying and you think, what on earth has happened? Anyway, so this one morning... My parents were still in bed. I think it must have been like a Saturday morning or something. My parents were still in bed. We're downstairs. And um, and there was this this ornament or something like that that we weren't supposed to play with. And um, and I knew we weren't supposed to play with it, and my brother knew as well. But he started playing with it. And I got a bit jealous, and I was like, oh, we're not allowed to play with this. But I really want to. And he's doing it, and he's getting away with it because there's no one to stop him. So I thought, I know what I'll do. So I shouted, Dad, Matt's playing with that toy. Matt's playing with that ornament that we're not supposed to play with. And so my dad says, well, tell him to put it back and uh, and stop playing with it. So I thought, okay, I was a bit annoyed because really what I wanted was for him to get in trouble. But anyway, he got told to just put it back and not play with it. So then he starts playing with it again. And this goes on a couple of times. And it gets to the point where my dad goes, shouts back, well, if he does it again, tell me and I'll come down and I'll punish him. And um, and so I told my brother this and my brother was a bit scared because he didn't want to get punished. So he was like, um, so he stopped playing with it. So then I thought, well, this is my opportunity now. 
to play with this toy. So I started, or this ornament, so I started playing with it and I'm having fun. And then, um, and then I'm playing with it for a bit and then I thought, well, I'll put it back. And then I shouted up, Dad, it happened again. Meaning that I was playing with it this time, but actually by me saying it happened again, my brother was the one who got in trouble. So my dad came down the stairs and he punished my brother and my, brother, my brother's crying. And I felt awful because I was like, <laughs> I meant for my brother to get in trouble, but then I was felt really guilty because actually it was me who played with it. But I didn't want to admit that I'd played with it because then I would be in trouble as well. And I was in the good books at that time. So I was being a little bit selfish at that point. I was, my response, um, my response to the temptation of getting my brother in trouble was not good. I reacted selfishly. I, I um, basically lied. And I got my brother in trouble and got my brother punished for something that I'd done. And I'd manipulated and, um, and deceived myself and my dad in that situation. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you've, you've pulled, your, pulled the wool over someone else's eyes or even over your own eyes, where you've gone, oh, well, one extra piece of chocolate cake doesn't matter. You know, no calories on my birthday, it's fine. Or, you know, or... or <laughs> it's true, is it? It is true. Okay. Or maybe, you know, it, it won't hurt to spend that little bit more on that, on that extra thing this month. You know, I'll just put it on my credit card and then it's not really money because I don't have to pay it back straight away and I can pay it off in nice manageable monthly chunks. And, you know, it's not that bad or something like that. You know, you've ever been in a place where you've actually, you're deceiving yourself because you've not got that thing that you want and you, and you want to get it. Um, and I think James is talking talking to this, but also in the sense of of sin as well. And I was kind of thinking about this: what does what does he mean when he's talking about being like dragged away by our evil desires? And, and this sort of sounds really intense, doesn't it? And I was kind of thinking, you know, if we desire something, if we desire something that's not of God, I think we go out of our way to deceive ourselves, to rationalise it. And to make it, and to make it in our heads go, oh well, it's not that bad, you know. I saw this on the news, and this this guy did this, and so you know what I'm doing is not that bad in comparison, um, or you know God will forgive me, so it's okay, or that kind of thing. We go out of our way to deceive ourselves to make ourselves feel okay about it. You know how many times have 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 you rationalised sin? Maybe it's just me who does that. I don't know, but. How many times have we have we just gone? That's okay. No one will know, or no one will find out, or whatever. And maybe no one does find out. Maybe no one actually does know, but God knows. I think what starts out as something innocent can end up harming us, and can end up harming those around us as well. And that's kind of what happened with me and my brother. So. so Although that was a little bit of a lighter story to start us off with. So we're looking at this whole aspect of how does God move? How does God move and, and um, in, in this whole element of not being deceived? So don't deceive ourselves about how God moves. And we're looking in the, the book of James. We've read it out. It's, it's often like quite a practical book. We often think, well, if I need some like practical advice, that's where I'll go. But there's theological elements as well. 
and I, and I kind of felt like God was leading me to bring out this this aspect of how God moves and how we should respond. Um, and I, I kind of thought if we get these two wrong, we can easily be deceived. If we get this element of how God moves wrong, and if we get this element of how we should respond wrong, we can be deceived or we can deceive ourselves. And that's what James is trying to warn us about. At the start of the passage, he's, he's um, talking about these ideas of blessings and and woes, like verse 12 that, Ju- that Julian was mentioning last week, gives us a similar form to the teachings of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, you know, blessed are the peacemakers or the, the poor in heart, poor in spirit, is it? Yeah, poor in spirit and, and the, the meek and, and all this sort of stuff. You know, James gives us a as a, as a blessing at, at the start of this passage. And James says that in verse 12, he says that those who persevere under trials will be blessed. And then James moves on to this idea of temptation and being tempted by evil. So I was kind of like, well, there's trials and temptations, and how do these two things work? Because is a, is a trial just something that happens to us, and is a temptation um, like a more... A more sinister thing, or or what's what does he mean by that? And I was looking into this, and I I was struck by how similar the words trials and temptations are in the Greek. That they come from the same root word, and they're they're almost interchangeable, and they they have this element of being enticed or drawn in by sin. In fact, when Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness, um, Luke's gospel uses the same word that we have as trial in James. So this temptation that Jesus was suffering from from the devil in the wilderness was the same as the trial. Yet in in Matthew, um, when the devil's called the tempter, um, we have this word temptation used. So you see how they're used sort of kind of interchangeably in in those ways. And and James, is, I think, is correcting us a little bit and saying, don't say that God is tempting you because he doesn't tempt people. He, he, he's not tempted. He's not drawn in by sin in that way that we can be. And then James gives us a helpful list, I think, of three stages of temptation that we need to, they're like sort of warning signs of, of temptation and how, how it sort of works as a process. He says, don't say God is tempting you, but look at this list of three ways of temptation. The first one was that we're dragged away by our own evil desire. Sounds really intense, doesn't it? But I was kind of thinking, like, we, we pass blame. It's like we we talk about temptation as a, as a passive thing that just kind of happens to us, you know. Well, I can't help feeling that way. Or, you know, it's it's easier to give in than to than to stand the test or, you know, these sorts of things. It's like, I don't, it just happened to me and I found myself in this situation and I just thought this was the best way out or something like that. You know, we can we can follow that pathway. And then James says, it's our own selfishness. It's our own taking control. It's us taking the wheel and saying, you know what, God, Whatever's happening in this situation, I know how to handle it best. I know how to deal with this better than you know how to deal with it because you're not me, actually, and I can, I can deal with it. And so we take over control and we, we get 
down this pathway that we shouldn't really be going down, but we, we sort of started down the pathway and we go, well, you know, it seems like a long way back and, and it looks, looks so good going this way, so maybe I'll just carry on a little bit more. And actually, at this point, I've not sinned yet. I'm just, just walking towards it. I'm just heading towards it. You know, they've got a nice waterfall and a fountain and, you know, there's free chocolates and it's all good, so I'll just keep going this way for a little bit. Maybe... You know, being tempted itself is not sinful. It's not wrong for us to be tempted. Sometimes it does come across our pathway and and happen. But our response is where we either rise or fall. Our response is where, where we can fall into sin or we can go, no, you know what, in this situation I'm going to follow God's path and what God wants me to do. And then James gives us this second point. He says, desire gives birth to sin. Remember this whole aspect of giving birth because it crops up in a few places in this in this passage. It's really interesting. You see, sin is a result of entertaining that desire. James talks about conception and birth. And now, for any mothers in the room, you'll know conception and birth are not passive things. They're things that involve participation. They're things that involve us working towards something and and actively doing something. You can't just accidentally give birth to sin. It doesn't just accidentally happen. Now, you can find yourself tempted, but you participate in that desire to make that step to do something that actually God calls us not to do. And when we participate in something that's not of God, it results in sin. So let me encourage you to participate in Christ. I think would be a good sort of counter to that. And then the third thing James says is sin leads to death. So we've got this list that goes goes down. We well, First of all, we're dragged by our own evil desire. And then desire births sin, gives birth to sin, and then sin when it's fully grown, leads to death. So it's not necessarily a good pathway to go down. And we're called to choose life, aren't we? Now, the question that I kind of want to ask is, what's being birthed in you right now? What's, What's the thing that's being birthed in you? You see, James talks about good and perfect gifts coming down from above. And then I kind of thought, well, on the other side of that, then that means that bad and evil and imperfect things come from below. I kind of thought that that makes sense. Um, And James also says that God never changes. And if you remember all the way back to Genesis, when God's finished with his creation and created people and all that sort of stuff, he says... It's good. And so there's an element of goodness. There's an element of goodness that remains. And God doesn't change in that he sees us as good. And he loves us and he brought redemption to us to bring us back to that place of goodness. Yet God wants to birth something good in you. Because that's who he is. That's his nature. That's, and he doesn't change from that nature. He doesn't deviate from that path. So what's being birthed in you? Is it something that is 
that is from evil desire that gives birth to sin? Or is it something good of God that gives birth to life? You know, just a slightly, uh, as a slight aside, because I've got one more, one more point about how we respond. We've just looked at how God moves and how God wants to birth something good in us. You know, as a slight aside, we can stop sin. We can stop doing it. We don't have to do it. We can stop it before it's birthed. We can make that, that stopping point at the point of temptation. If we recognize this, what's, what's happening, we can make that point of, of going, nope, not going to do this this time. But then there are other times when, when we do find ourselves that we've fallen into sin. We've fallen into doing stuff that's, that's not of God and we go out, we're going out of our way to deceive ourselves that actually this isn't that bad. But I want us to remember that we are in Christ. Who we are is, is a, a people and people that are, that are in Christ. Um, in Galatians... I'm trying to hold the microphone and go through, flick through my Bible at the same time. Here we go. It's difficult. We'll get there. There we go. Nearly there. So in Galatians chapter 5, verses 24 and 25, say this, and I think these are really interesting for, for what we're looking at. It says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now, I found, found this really interesting because we've got these ideas of desires and the, and the flesh. It's similar to what James is talking about, right? Yet, this passage says that we've crucified the flesh. Now, I don't have any first-hand experience of crucifixion. But I'm led to believe that after you crucify something, it dies. Right? That's what happened to Jesus. Crucifixion was led to his death. And, um, and thankfully he resurrected. Just thought I'd throw that out there. That was good. Um, but you crucify something, it's dead, right? It's no longer living. You know, actually now we belong to Christ. We've made that step that we, we are in Christ. We're belonging to Christ. And so Paul says to us, if we belong to Christ, keep in step with the Spirit. Keep in step with where the Spirit's leading you, where God's leading you. Don't go back. Don't deceive yourself. Don't tell yourself, no, I'm not actually that person or I'm not, I'm not going to live the way that, um, that I'm supposed to live now. Don't deceive yourself and pull the wool over your eyes because actually you've crucified the flesh with its desires and its passions. That's no longer who you are. You know, Galatians again 2.20 says that it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives within me. We sing it in that song, right? Um, can't remember, Alive in You, I think, the song. Um, you know, these are, these are truths, these are promises. Actually, I think that this kind of stuff is the kind of stuff you speak over yourself and you say over your life when you find yourself in those difficult, those tempting um, times. And so how should we respond? We're looking at how we respond to how God moves. James says we should be slow to speak and slow to anger and quick to listen. It's good enough. It's good to say that, isn't it? And it's not that always that easy to do. <laughs> but why? Why should we be slow to speak, slow to anger? Why should we be quick to listen? 
James says, because it produces good fruit, produces the, the kind of righteousness that God desires, or in other words, it, it produces good fruit. Remember, God gives birth to us through his word. And God's birthing something good in us. But your fruit is a result of where you're planted. The fruit you produce is a result of where you are planted. And I want to ask the question, where, where are you planted? Where, where are your roots? Where have you put down your your roots is it in God or is it in somewhere else something else I'm no botanist I did watch a film have you seen the film The Martian we watched it on the plane he tries to grow um, what is it he grew potatoes he grew potatoes on Mars anyway great film I, I quite enjoyed it because um, he was the he was the expert botanist that they'd taken out on, on anyway so I'm no botanist um, but I'm I what I do know is that good soil produces good trees and good fruit and there are other elements obviously of course but um, conditions have to be right I was watching this program and I'm really embarrassed to admit that I was watching this program but it's kind of like I don't know what it was called it was in the daytime I was off and um, it's kind of like um, oh it's kind of like the baking program what's the baking program called Great British Bake Off it's kind of like that but with growing fruits and vegetables. And they had to grow the best fruits and vegetables that they could. And there was like teams and they got voted out. You know, oh, there's a mark on this. This aubergine's got a mark on it, actually. So, you know, you're, you're out of the competition or whatever. So it's quite interesting, this tension, you know, in these fruit growers. But anyway, <laughs> I don't know when it's on, actually. Um I'm no botanist, but I do know that these conditions have to be right. And the good news that we have, I've written good news alert on my, on my sheet. The good news that we have is that God has already called you good. You're already in Christ. You're already a good tree. So the only element that we have to get right is where we've planted, where we're placing ourselves. This, this passage that James has given us is a call to not, pla- not ruin what God's placed in us by planting ourselves in rubbish soil, but actually to plant ourselves in good soil, in the word of God, in, in what he's got for us, in following the spirit. And then James says, don't just listen, respond. It's not good enough for, for us to just listen. We have to do something about it. Um, and he uses this parable of the mirror. And I kind of, it reminded me a lot, I don't know if it reminded you guys when we were reading through it, of, of the um, parable of the, the builders, the one who builds the, um, the house on the sand and the one who builds his house on the rock, where Jesus says, you know, whoever listens to my word and, and doesn't do it is like the builder who builds his house on the sand and it, ultimately it falls down. But whoever listens to my word and does it, it's like the builder who builds his house on the rock. Well, this reminded me a bit about that. Because James is saying, in this this mirror parable, he's, he's, um, I think he's kind of, what he's doing is he's likening us to, to these people who look into a mirror and forget about it, right? And 
I want us to remember that when we read this bit, we're in Christ. Who we are is a new creation in Christ. So when we look into the mirror, this mirror reflects our new identity. Not our old self, but our new self. When we go away and we forget that we're in Christ, and we ignore it, and we plant ourselves somewhere else, we don't produce good fruit. But James says that, that actually you're blessed when you follow the word and when you continue in it. And basically when you, when you, you look at yourself in the mirror and realize, hold on a minute, I'm a new person in Christ, I'm a new creation. And actually I can go away and remember this and I can take that with me, that, that who I am in Christ is a new creation and it's no longer this old person. I've crucified that old person. I've crucified the, the flesh with its evil desires. And I'm this new person in Christ. And, and I just need to plant myself in what God wants for me. Because God wants to birth something good in me. So, how do we respond when God moves? Well, we don't just, we don't just listen and then go away and forget about it. We act. We do something about it. We take what God's put in us. And we let it produce fruit in our lives, in our conversations, in our friendships, relationships, everything about our lives. We, we let it produce the fruit that God wants to produce in us. And I think James sort of finishes it off quite nicely when he talks about religion alone is, not, is no use. But religion plus action equals God's added value. I kind of heard it a different way, like... God adds his super to our natural. You ever heard that, that phrase like that? You know, we're, we're called not to just listen, but we're called to listen and respond. God's made the move. God's made the move towards us. He's called us good. He's restored us. Um, he's birthed something good in us, and he wants to plant us in something positive, something of his word that's going to produce fruit. But then we have to respond we have a, an element that, that we're called to do something. We're not called to just sit and listen, but we're called to actually do something in response. So to just, to just end, um, what I want to share this morning, and, and maybe we'll go into a, a song afterwards, I think. That would be nice. Um, I just want to ask these three questions again. What's, what's God birthing in you? Where are you planted and how do you respond when God moves? These are questions that hopefully we can take away and, and, and contemplate and think on um, over, the, over the coming few days and, and weeks. So, Johnny, Isaac, if you want to come up and maybe we'll, um, let's, finish, let's finish in a word of prayer and then we'll go into, we'll go into a song. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast at Centre Church. One church passionately loving God and people in Burgess Hill and Brighton. To get the latest news or for any other information, check out our website at www.centrechurch.uk.